remain standing with me, if you will, this morning. The Lord's given me a word that I want to share with you. It's one of those words that when the Lord gave it to me, I said, Lord, I'd rather preach something that's easier to follow. It's one of those Old Testament words with Old Testament verbiage. But God said, I've got a word for my people. And I want you to hear this word today. So I'm going to ask you for your undivided attention, not to exit unless you absolutely have to, so that it doesn't distract somebody else from hearing what thus saith the word of the Lord to us today. Found in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, reading from the New King James Version. The word said, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Say, build the house. Which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? Ask yourself that question this morning. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem." Then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all those whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold and with goods and livestock and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. Say this with me today. Build the house. Say it again like you mean it. Build the house. I want you to pray with me and for me. And let's hear from the Lord today. Father, we thank you for everything that's taken place. Lord, we thank you for every person that's played a hand in, in everything that's pulled together and happened today. But God, we're in this place right now not for any other reason than to hear from the word of the Lord. So God, I ask you to move me out of the way. Decrease me until I'm nothing. That your Holy Spirit would be increased within me. Let your word come forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. I'm asking you to anoint every ear of every listener in this room. And those listening and tuning in by live stream. And to hear the word of God. And anoint every heart to receive what thus saith the word of the Lord to this house today. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said... Amen, and you may be seated. I want to say this before I go any further today. What you have uh, seen in this, in this place today for worship, I just have to say, our worship team, our band, our audio, video, media team, lighting team, all of that which has been led throughout this process by Martin Woodley, which is Bob and Faye's son, through a company called Sound, Word, and Light. Uh, it is absolutely second to none, and they did a phenomenal job. Don't you agree? We appreciate them so much. I want to go back today and I want to break this down a little bit verse by verse because I want us to look at what God is saying to us out of this Old Testament passage today. So verse 1 said, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. Let me set this scene for you here this morning for just a moment, for this particular moment in history. The people of God had been called to a special place. 
the nation that we now call and refer to as Israel, they had also been called to a particular city. That city was Jerusalem. And in this place, the glory of God dwelt in the temple. And the people were called to be a special people. They were called to be changed and empowered by God. They were called to be a living praise and a testimony to God in that city, in their community, and in all of the earth. And I want to tell you today that this exact same calling is on your life and on my life as a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this generation. Are you with me today? Now, I need some folks in the house to help me preach. Will you do that? However, the people of God at that time, I need you to understand this, dealt very, very casually with their calling. And their service and their worship of God gradually became a matter of convenience. It took on forms of, of things that God never intended for it to take on the form of. And sadly, God's ordained purpose for those people at that time slipped right through their fingers just like grains of sand and suddenly they found themselves powerless as an enemy uh, called Babylon began to take them captive. And so here we have the people of God. We find in three stages uh, they began to be taken captive. Now listen, and when that happened throughout those three stages, they were not only taken captive, but they were taken into a foreign land for 70 years. Somebody say, wow. That's a long time. This tends to happen though throughout history. It tends to repeat itself. It happens all the time to believers. It happens all the time to families. It happens all the time to churches. And if we are not very careful, we will find ourselves ending up in a place where God never destined us to be. And so this captivity was a time of chastising. Now for those of you that don't know what chastising means, that's discipline. Some of y'all could do a little bit. I could preach a whole sermon on chastising your children. Spare the rod and some of you believe that, some of you don't. Anyway, we're not going there today. But it was a time of chastising. It was a time for the children of Israel to reconsider their calling in the earth. And then suddenly, I want you to notice this, revival came. Now let me say something about revival. It's important to note that first of all, revival is God's initiative. Say amen somebody. Revival is God's initiative. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Revival is not something that you can force. Revival is not something that you can schedule. Revival is not something that you can manufacture or conjure up. Revival is something that God determines in His heart to do when He responds to His people who are hungry for an outpouring of His Spirit. Oh, I wish I could find about five people in this house today that are hungry for an outpouring of the presence of God in this generation. And the Lord had already predetermined that he would, he would let the enemies, think about this. God had predetermined that he was going to allow the enemies of his people to capture them for 70 years. So God believed in chastising. 70 years is a long time. And he had spoken through the mouth of Daniel the prophet at the time that they were taken into captivity. 
that at the end of the 70 years that God would visit them and he would bring them home. And this is exactly what happened as we saw in our opening scripture. Now Cyrus, who was this Medo-Persian king, was not a partaker. I want you to get this this morning. He was not a partaker in the Jews' religion. He was not a participant or a member of the Jews' religion. He was outside the church. And even though he was outside the church, the Lord stirred up his spirit so that he made a proclamation to the king. Are you with me this morning? God spoke to a leader who was not a part of the church to declare revival to the church. Are you with me today? What? How does that happen? That happens when the people of God are praying and seeking the face of God. God can speak to people that won't listen to us when we speak. But when God speaks to them, God knows how to get their attention. So in verse 2, it says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Verse 2. All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to do what? Build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. See, revival usually happens in response to a cry from uh, amongst at least some of God's people. Now, everybody won't cry out for revival. Everybody won't. Say everybody. No, say it the way these kids say it today. Everybody. Everybody won't cry out for revival. Everybody won't attend a prayer meeting. Hello? Everybody don't always like that part of it. But revival happens in a response to a cry from at least some of God's people. And of course there were probably other people who were quite content in Babylon in those days. Uh, does anybody know anybody that's kind of gotten content in their own state of bondage? Are you with me this morning? They kind of got happy in that state. Maybe they had a, a, acquired a fairly good life for themselves even outside the church there in Babylon. But I want you to note something this morning. There's always a voice that will rise up if it's surrendered to God. Always at least one voice. It could simply be a person such as you or me in our own house saying right now, God, the way your people are being treated over in Afghanistan is not right. Are you with me this morning? It, it could be a person as simple as you and me in our own house who says, God, it's not right that you are not known, you are not revered, and you are not respected in this earth anymore. God, it's not right that your word is being cast out in the streets as if it is something evil. God, God, it's not right that your people are made, when they take a stand, are made to be the ones that are called haters and bigots. God, it's not right when we stand on your word that people come against your word and they make us out to be evil and they make evil out to be good. It could be as simple as somebody like you or me getting down to business with God in our own prayer closet. Because I want to tell you something this morning. If you don't have a prayer life at home, you'll never have one in the church. And it could simply be a person such as you and me who's willing to cry out. And the decree continued in verse 3. Notice this. Now, I'm not talking about this church or any church. I'm talking about the kingdom. Say the kingdom. He asked in verse 3, who is among you of all his people? Sometimes we got to ask ourselves that in the worldwide church today. Who is among us that are really God's people? Who in the kingdom actually belongs to God? Who desires to live a life that brings glory to his name? Who's concerned about regaining what was lost through neglect and negligence? Ezra chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. 
He says, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. We just did that a few minutes ago. We took an over and above offering. King Cyrus was simply saying, as the people got up to build, everybody who was part of the family of God should help them in whatever way they can. And if they cannot go themselves, Maybe they can do something else. Can I tell you, again, I'm talking about everybody. Everybody can serve. Now, everybody don't like to serve. But everybody can serve. And in this passage of Scripture, he said, everybody who was part of the family of God should help them in whatever way they can, even if they can't go themselves. So you can, maybe you think, I'm not cut out to be a door greeter. Well, you could do something else. And if you can't do any of the ministries, you can give to them. And all the people that head up a ministry said... Amen. Everybody needs to do something in building the kingdom of God in the earth. And what happens next is phenomenal. It was not part of our main text, but we're going to read on. Let's look at verse 7. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. This included everything that God had given a pattern for King David, who in turn had given... Now, this is why I said it gets difficult to follow. This was everything that God had given to King David, who in turn, King David had given it to his son Solomon... And Solomon had fashioned all of the instruments that were necessary in the worship of God. All the things that were part of the religion and the worship experience at that time. Are you with me? So now let me just go ahead and say this and give you a free mini sermon that won't cost you anything. Just because you may see something different that is a part of worship in the modern church today does not make it wrong. Somebody say, Amen. We need to do everything we can to enhance the atmosphere in which God can move and save this generation. See, that you ain't, you, some of you wasn't raised up in what they're going through. You didn't go to grade school having to call boys girls and girls boys. You didn't go through some of the stuff that they're going through. You didn't have some of these young people are having two dads. Hello, somebody. Having two moms. Hello, somebody. You didn't go through that kind of stuff. And so things might be a little bit different today. And we might use different platforms. And we might use different methods. But honey, as long as the message is the same and the message never changes, I have a desire. And it's my prayer that you'll have a desire to reach this generation for the kingdom of God. But yet when the Israelites were taken captive, see, they probably assumed that all of the articles had been lost, never to be regained again. And see, that's exactly what the devil wanted all of them to believe. But I want to tell you something this morning. Nothing with God is ever lost. I said nothing with God is never lost. Now, here's what the Lord gave me this week. It's merely in storage. What are you talking about, Pastor? The Bible tells us in verses 9 through 11... That when they brought this stuff out, he said there was 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives. And all the men said amen. 30 gold basins, 
410 silver basins of a similar kind and 1,000 other articles. And all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400 articles. Can you imagine being there as all of these items were brought out of storage? Now, we got some storage rooms in this building. Jason Thacker can tell you about them, but they're locked today, so you can't see them. Praise the Lord. They don't look too hot. But anyway, can you imagine being there when all those 4,500 items were brought out of storage? The Babylonians or the Medo-Persians could have easily taken that stuff. They could have melted it down and made gold out of it and made money for themselves. But guess what? God's always in charge of everything. I said God's always in charge of everything. Now, here's why I said all that. It's simply in storage. The treasures of the temple, of the house of God, are simply in storage. You may say, Pastor, where is the word of knowledge for the church today? It's in storage. Pastor, where are the gifts of healing like we used to see? They're in storage. Where are the true prophets of God that rise up and give a prophecy that comes to pass because it was thus saith the word of the Lord? They're in storage. Where are the gifts of the Spirit in the church? They're in storage. Where are they, Pastor? They're in storage. I want to tell you, though, nothing is ever, don't you let the devil fool you, nothing is ever lost in the kingdom of God. Do you hear me? See, there have been times in seasons throughout history when God says bring out everything that was taken captive and give it back to my people and the Lord makes everything available to his people again and he asks who wants to be, who wants to build who wants to rebuild in the city who wants a church in case you didn't know this morning you are in a full gospel spirit filled church and those that were scared said here we go we believe in the gifts of the spirit we believe if, if there's, a, there's a DNA wall set up when you go out these sanctuary doors and you go down that corridor, everything on the left-hand side, the first thing you'll come to is our core values, all eight of them printed out on acrylics and attached to the wall. Then you come to a little place that makes a nice little place for a selfie. So go out there today and take a selfie and hashtag it whatever you want. I don't know. They didn't tell me a hashtag. So anyway, go on past that selfie place and then you'll find our uh, declaration of faith. And you'll find our doctrinal commitments. And with one scan of that DNA wall, you can find out everything this church believes. But I want to tell you some of the things we believe. We believe in the verbal inspiration of the Word of God. We believe in one God eternally existing in three persons. Namely, the Father, the Son, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, we believe uh, in, in the filling of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. We believe in the gifts of healing. We believe in the gifts of prophecy. We believe in the power and the anointing of God that will break the yoke, that'll break the chains, and will break the ties of people who are bound. And God is looking for a church. God is looking for a people who will rise up in the city and say, God, whatever you have for us, bring it out of storage. Give us back the gifts. Give us back the power. Give us back a demonstration of the Holy Spirit that will change lives forever. God's saying, who wants to rebuild? Who wants to glorify me in the earth? Who wants to establish a place where God can save, sanctify, deliver, heal, and fill with the Spirit? Who wants to see captivity taken captive one more time in this generation? The psalmist wrote about it in Psalm 126 in verse 1. He said, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. I want to tell you, you may not realize it. But you are sitting in a place today, and I'm standing in a place today that I have dreamed about. Now, I dreamed about the building we were going to build. But God spoke and said, I want to move you to the heart of your city. 
And God has established a place here that a dream has become a reality. And the psalmist said, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. In other words, we thought everything was lost forever. But suddenly, we realized the hand of God was moving again. That our captivity had indeed been taken captive. Is there anybody amongst us this morning who desires to really see the genuine, authentic hand of God moving amongst a city again? Who wants to see the hand of God that has the power to change lives? Who wants to see the hand of God that has the power to deliver the drug addicts, to to set free the prostitutes and the homosexuals? Who wants to see the hand of God moving that restores marriages and broken homes and takes broken people and puts them back together again? Is there anybody who wants to see the hand of God moving in the city? The psalmist continued, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity. Oh Lord, the streams in the south, those who sow in tears, listen, shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, uh, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In the old church we used to sing, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. In other words, he's saying our confidence is in God. No matter where we are, no matter how powerless we may feel to do anything about the day and the hour that we live in. If you and I have that cry inside our hearts, we will Come back to this place week after week rejoicing and we'll be bringing in the harvest. Bringing in the sheaves with us. Who in the place has a desire to see the hand of God move where the kingdom of God is grown? See, I'm praying for, God's directed me. I'm praying for churches in this entire area. It doesn't matter to me if they get saved here and go with their family somewhere else. I'm interested in building the kingdom of God one soul at a time. Because when we build the kingdom of God, God will build his church and God will place in it whom he pleases. Who pleases him? That's the way God does it. I'm almost done. The next chapter of Ezra goes on to say, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. And on the, out through the rest of chapter 2, there are these different individual houses that are recognized the, the, as folks that, who arose to, to build. And, for example, in verse 3 we read, The people of Parish, 2,172. Verse 6 says, The people of Pahath-Moab, of the people of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812. Verse 10 says, The people of Benai, 642. Verse 14 says, The people of Bigvi, 2,056. See, here's what this speaks to me. This speaks to me that not everybody will build the house. That's the reality. Not everybody will build the house. Not everybody will get up. And build the house. But in every town, in every city, in every community, in every state, there will be somebody. God's always got somebody. So I want you to see this this morning. If the, if the United States of America were listed in this book of Ezra like the way they've listed this, it might read something like this. Out of the state of Florida, 7,644 got up to build. And after last night, they need to. That was a long time coming. Is anybody with me this morning? Now, some of y'all did not act in worship like you did at home last night, and I know it. The Lord's done told me. So the next time we come to worship, I want you to pretend that that was the time, timer just went off. There was 18 seconds left, and it was over, and it was time to rejoice, all right? But it might say, at the state of Kentucky, 5,722 got up to build. 
of the state of Tennessee, you get it, 4,214 got up to build. Of the state of West Virginia, 3,998 got up to build. And not just states, but little towns. And it mentioned these little towns. And of all these little towns, it mentioned the number of people. Here's what I see in my mind. I know we had over 100 at the early service this morning. I'm not sure what the count is right now. But in my mind, I kind of hear on October the 3rd, 2021, in the city of Corbin, there were 316 people that said, we'll rise up to build the house of God in the city. That's what I hear God saying today. And see, the people of God did not just hear the decree of King Cyrus. They heard something in their spirit. You've got to hear it in your spirit. They heard God say, God was with them. Let us rise up and build. And it's the same thing we're hearing today. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. In every one of those houses listed in the book of Ezra, here it is. Somebody had to be the first one to speak. In every single one of those households in the book of Ezra, somebody had to be the first one to speak. Somebody had to stand up in their house and say, I'm hearing something in my heart. God is calling us back to the place where we once were. A place where we worship Him again in spirit and in truth. Where we are His people. And so we bring glory to His name. And that's the way it is today. Somebody in your house has to be the first one to stand up and say, and maybe you would say to me, Pastor, who's going to listen to me? Come back up here and help me, Elijah. Now, I'm only good at this because it's the 11 o'clock service. This week, working around here, I, I called his brother, Elijah. <laughs> then this morning, I called him up here and I said, I called, I, I did it wrong this week. Which one are you? And he said, Elijah. <laughs> and go figure. But anyway, I love this kid. By the way, don't he look so sharp today? You might say to me, Pastor, who's going to listen to me? Some of you young people in here today might be saying, who's going to listen to me? I'm the least in my house. But I, I want you to see, if you could, if you'll read this book, you'll find out throughout history, God has used people who give us a picture of what real spiritual authority looks like. I want you to consider Goliath. Goliath was huge. He was a huge man of huge stature. He was not Nicholas. He was a huge man of huge stature. And then when we read the word, we find that there was a little shepherd boy who was red-headed. Pretend you're red-headed today. He was red-headed. He was skinny and scrawny. I'm sorry. And I'm sure the devil said to him, spoke into his mind and said, Who do you think you are to go up against that giant? Who do you think you are to do somebody, but do you notice, you, you know what happened that way in the story? Because God needed somebody to rise up for his people. And so the enemy spoke to him and said, who do you think you are trying to do that? And you know what David said? David said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but buddy, I've come to you in the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you know what an equalizer is this morning, but we serve a God that's more than an equalizer. He's a maximizer. He can take the smallest things of the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. And you know what David did? David pulled five smooth stones out of his pocket. He got a sling. He pulled that stone back. He never missed a shot. 
the very first time that stone hit that giant in the head and the big man came crashing down. What are you trying to say this morning? I'm trying to say don't you dare listen to the enemy telling you you can't do anything for God. Don't you dare listen to him telling you I'll never make a difference. If you'll just rear your shoulders back and say God if you'll use me, use me and I'll do it for you and I promise you you'll see God empower you in ways you never thought possible I poured my water out it's all right Bible says the water flew out of the east side of the tabernacle right Martise you can just sweep that that way after service God will use anybody who is willing to be used by God thank you Elijah give Elijah a big hand this morning as they come to the music today I want you to consider, for example, Nehemiah. He was merely a butler to the king. I want you to think about this this morning. Who received a a report that his city was in reproach and his people were suffering. Yet Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem with the king's permission. Here's what Nehemiah told the prophets, told the people, I'm sorry. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18, he said, Of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, And also of the king's words that he has spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. Now listen, I have no doubt that there were leaders, architects, and skilled people like Jason Thacker who were there at that time. We had architects. We had skilled construction crews. We had all that. I have no doubt that those people were there. Yet suddenly we read about this man. I want you to notice something whose only claim to fame was that he carried a tray to the king. He was a servant. Nothing big, nothing fancy, but he carried a tray to the king. But because he was faithful, God spoke to him. And God said, my hand's upon you. And so Nehemiah said, God's hand is on me. And the king has given me good words, telling me this thing can be done. You may say, Pastor Sean, we'll never turn this town upside down for the cause of Christ. I came to tell you different this morning. This thing can be done. If God is with us, this thing can be done. People are sick of entertainment. People are sick of show. People are sick. I'm just going to throw this out there for you. People are sick of people that are on the platform that are not what they say they are. People are hungry for the genuine, authentic power of the Spirit of God. We must have it. We cannot live without it. But if we'll have the anointing of God, people will walk in here bound, but they'll walk out the door free. If we have the anointing and the power of God, God will fill this house to capacity. You just don't even understand. Now, I'll scare my team to death when I say this. We've already started off with two services. Just some people express the, don't let the early service go away. I said, we'll see how it's responded to. It was responded to very well this morning. If you want to keep it, keep it up. I know it's hard on this team to do that. Actually, I'm preaching to the choir. You wasn't here at 845. But anyway, tell them if they want to keep it, keep it up. But let me say this. I'm committed. If God needs four services a weekend to do what he wants to do in this city, I'm committed. 
Now, not everybody can do that. I get that. But I also want to tell, give you a personal testimony this morning. I kid you not now, if you read my Facebook post, when I went to bed Thursday night, I knew for sure I'd be in the bed till Saturday. I thought I'll never even work tomorrow. I mean killed after two straight weeks. So y'all walked in today and the place looked good. Should have just been here about Thursday. But I said, God, I'm only doing this for you. And if you'll help me, I'll keep on keeping on. And I kid you not, I went to sleep after 11 p.m. I woke up at 10 minutes till 5 and went downstairs and started writing down things, actually typing out things that the Lord spoke to me about this message. And it just kind of dawned on me. I thought, I feel like I've slept for two days. I had energy. Psalm says that he gives the ones that he loves rest. So don't think I ain't got time to work for God. That's another trick of the enemy. That's another lie of the devil. If you've got time to trace all over everything else in the world, you've got time to work for God. Stand with me all over the house this morning. So Nehemiah said, God's hand is on me. The king's giving me good words, telling me this thing can be done. The people's response was, let us rise up and build. Build what? Build the house. What's that mean? Build the church. Build the church. Family, we're standing here today at the beginning of a brand new chapter in the history of our church. But I also believe that this is a new chapter in the history of our city. God has placed us here for such a time as this. I believe that it was our plan to build on five acres that we purchased out on London Highway. But God said, no, I want to move you into the heart of your city. But I believe it's also a new chapter for every single one of us in our individual service to the kingdom today. When I asked you two weeks ago to say the words, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to remember. Paul didn't start by saying, Lord, I've got a hundred ideas of how to advance your kingdom. I've got a plan. I've got a strategy. He didn't do that. He just simply surrendered to God's plan. Whatever you do, folks, don't ever forget that God's plan for your life is so much bigger and better than even the very best plan that you can conjure up for yourself. God's plan is so much better. And God's plan simply starts with the desire inside of you to stand up and say, God, I'll build the house. I'll do what you've called me to do. And never underestimate what God can do through you as you stand up and answer his call. Whether you are a person of high or low position, whether you've been successful or maybe you've even been a failure in your own sight. You see, God has given us, I believe this church, I'm wrapping this up. God's given us a window of time to do something for the kingdom of God that only he can enable us to do. If we'll rise up and begin to rebuild the testimony of God in the earth. If we'll take what Nehemiah told the people. We'll take it to heart. And this is it. I'm closing with this. For the sake of your children, rise up and build. Sister Faye and Bob Woodley. Sister Frida Bailey. I fear Glenda, David Maloney, John and Janelle Martin. I'm naming some of our elders. Now they're all mad at me. But I'm dead serious when I say this. I fear 
my grandchildren won't know the same power of God that some of us in this room have known and experienced. I fear that some of your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will never know the same power of God that many of us in this room have felt and experienced. But I want to tell you something. They will if we'll rise up and build. I said they will if we'll rise up and build. So for the hallelujah. For I would say to you today, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Do not let the enemy trick you into believing that what you can contribute to my kingdom is insignificant. For I take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I use the smallest, weakest things to confound the strong. If you will just but answer the call that is going forth in this house today. And you will say to me, God, if you will use anything, use me. I say to you this day, I will use you for my glory. I will show you things which you do not know. I will bring in a harvest to this house that I am calling from amongst this city. It is no coincidence that you are here. Those of you in this service, it's no coincidence that you have attended today. It is my plan that you be in this place at this time for this word that you can receive and act upon what I I am speaking to you, my people, today. Try me, says the Lord, and see what I will do. Can we give the Lord some praise all over this room right now? Somebody says, Pastor, what was that? That was the gift of tongues and interpretation. If you didn't understand it, see me after service. Hit me up, as the young people say this week. Text me. I'll be glad to sit down and explain it to you. But God wanted to use a demonstration of His Spirit this morning to speak to you. I'm speaking to my people. If you will rise up and build, you, you watch and see what I will do. So I say this, and we're going to open this altar. And when we open this altar, I want to say, first of all, if you're not part of the kingdom yet, whatever you do, don't leave this house without Jesus. I said, don't leave this house without Jesus. There's a room full of people in here that will testify to you this morning. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? Don't leave this house without Jesus. You may think, I'm not ready. I've done too much. He can't save me. Oh, yes, he can. You may think, no, no, preacher, you don't know me. i got to lay some stuff down. i got to clean myself up. No, you don't. God never called you nor me to clean the fish. God just called us to catch the fish, and God will clean the fish. So today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this house without Jesus. But to the rest of us, I say, for the sake of your family, get up and build the house. For the sake of your children, 
get up and build the house. For the sake of the stranger who's going to walk in off the street, get up and build the house. And when you get up and begin to build, you just watch what the power of God